Hey there, Zlatko here from Taco Agency and the host of the Taco Talk podcast. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. I had a chance to talk to Kevin Wild. He is the head of e-commerce partnerships at Sezzle. He absolutely loves what he does, which is why I wanted to talk to him about his process and all the other good stuff that he has going on. Also, what's a bit more fascinating to me is that he has his private pilot license. A little bit about Sezzle. They're one of the best payment options for any e-commerce business. It allows customers to make payments on a purchase while the merchant receives all of their money up front. Absolutely no risk to the merchant. So if you're listening and you are running an e-commerce business and want to increase your overall conversion rate, check out Sezzle. And also, they work with CBD companies and other industries where your traditional credit card processor might not work due to regulations. Kevin has an awesome outlook on life and I truly enjoyed chatting with him. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. Uh, cool. I think we're good. Um, all right, cool. Kevin, thanks for, thanks for doing this. Um, I appreciate you, you know, jumping on the Taco Talk podcast. Um, I know you and I have had a chance to, you know, uh, uh, work in different environments, uh, a couple of different companies you've been at. Um, I'll let you kind of touch on that, but go ahead and give people an introduction in terms of, um, what you currently do, what your role is and, uh, you know, uh, anything else that you think my people might be interested in. Yeah, certainly. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on Z. It's always a pleasure when we get to connect. Um, Absolutely. Yes. Man. So my name is, uh, as you mentioned, my name is Kevin Wild. Um, currently, I'm the head of e-commerce partnerships at Sezzle. So what that, you know, what that means really is that I'm engaging um, on behalf of Sezzle with a lot of e-commerce platforms, um, talking with various platforms about integrating Sezzle, our payment method, um, natively into their system or as an app. Um, so a lot of my discussions are kind of like a, a cool cross-reference of like technology, technical discussions, but also business. It's kind of where I found my niche in terms of my career is focusing both on, you know, the cross-reference between business and, uh, and technology. So yeah, most of my days spent on the phone, looking at contracts, sending emails, that sort of thing. Um, maybe not for everybody, but I certainly love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, a lot of people probably wouldn't uh, wouldn't want to engage in all kinds of contracts, but I do know a few that actually thrive in that area. So that's awesome to hear. Um, so tell me, tell me a little bit about how you you know got to Sezzle. What kind of attracted you to 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 get there? And um, you know what what have been some maybe some obstacles that you kind of encountered and things that you've been able to come in and sort of fix on that front? Because I know as an agency myself, I know it's not easy to work with us sometimes because we have so much other shit going on all the time. So I just want to know kind of what you uh you know what you've encountered and and how you kind of overcome those things because i know that there's a lot a lot of moving pieces when it comes to a platform like yourself yeah certainly you know um the story about how i got to sazzle i guess is a is a little bit of a long one um because you know i largely came to sazzle because of my experience um at previous companies working in partnerships so you know i really wouldn't have ended up at sazzle if i hadn't had those previous experiences of working with partners in this space of of mm -hmm partnerships and business development, um, a lot of the success you have um, or can have is based upon who you know and what contacts you have. Um, people like dealing with people they know and people like dealing with people that they like, right? You know, you know that um, as an agency, you prefer to deal with people who, you, who you'd like to chat on the phone with. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> right. And so over the past, you know, six or seven years, um, I've been able to meet a lot of awesome people like you, Z, and you know, those are relationships that I love and really focus my career on. And, you know, when I came to a company like Sezzle, 
it's relatively easy for me to get started because I can just call up all the existing contacts I have and say, Hey, you know, here's where I am now, you know, would love to continue working together or I'd love to, you know, to do this together versus, you know, when somebody is new in this space, when I was just getting started, um, it was a lot of a di much different story. It was a lot of cold calling. It was a lot of reaching out, looking at directories, trying to find anyone who would listen to me. And, you know, it can be hard to build relationships when you do have metrics to hit. You know, it's like the, the balance of trying to build a relationship that's not completely focused on metrics, but also trying to hit, you know, targets that your company has set for you. So, you know, that was certainly a struggle in the beginning, but obviously as time has gone on, you know, these relationships that, you know, I formed have really just been, you know, um, irreplaceable for, for what I've been able to accomplish. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. And would you say like uh, at Sezzle currently, um, how much, uh, and I don't know if, uh, you know, the specific me metrics in a case like this, but does a lot of your guys's business, I mean, obviously there's people coming directly to you. Does a lot of your business come from a lot of these agency partnerships or is it mostly like people just come because of the offerings that you guys have, you know, uh, being able to purchase something up, you know, up front, you know, whether it's a high ticket item on their store and they just come in to find you and say, hey, I need this on my store. How can I, you know, get it installed and all that? Or is it more so like nurturing these relationships with partners and agencies to, you know, bring these clients or merchants into your wheelhouse? What would you say is if you had to put a percentage to it, I mean, I'm not expecting you to know that off the top. Maybe you do. But. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I, um, the way that I look at it is I, I think it takes a village and, and, you know, maybe some people who have to work on budgets and numbers don't like that, like my response very much because they want to say like, where did this one sale come from? Who does it attribute to? But the way that I look at it, um, you know, as somebody who's, who's worked in marketing before, um, who's been the client, who's been, you know, an agency um, and somebody who now is, is working in partnerships is that in order to acquire a merchant, um, it takes a lot of different factors. And yeah, that, that introduction can come from an agency, but lots of times they've already heard of us because we've done a lot of marketing campaigns, right? Mm -hmm. And it was just, they didn't know enough about us or trust us enough yet to really reach out. But then that agency recommendation was enough to just push it over the edge. Right. And then, you know, so it could be a combination of a variety of different things. And obviously, you know, for us, our, our partners are incredibly important to our success. Um, and we get a lot, you know, a lot of our, of our business from that. Um, but there's a lot of different angles to it. And it's not as simple as just, you know, a, a straightforward channel. There's, you know, many different parts of our company that are all contributing to, you know, getting the Cezzle name out there and making sure that, you know, everyone knows about us or has heard about us. Cause I'll tell you when you um, have a call with a, you know, with a merchant and it doesn't matter what you're selling, if they've right. heard about you before you have that call, you're going to have a way easier time selling your product than if they have no idea who you are, or what you do, you're right. you know, you're fighting an uphill battle right from the beginning. Yeah. Love it. And how big is Cezzle at the moment? How many employees are you guys at? You know, it's the, I think it's around like 150, 160. Um, not something I, I, I keep track of too much, you know, right, right. Uh, at my previous companies, um, I was in the office. So every new person who started, I'd see their desk. I was kind of, you know, I could kind of keep a right, right. picture, but obviously in this remote world we're living in, people are starting and I really don't, you know, you don't see them right now. So, um, it's, a. Uh, yeah, it's I a think, new I name. It's, it's a new around. name in Slack, huh? It's just, you see this little icon just pop, pop up in Slack. You're like, Hey, there's a new person. That's pretty much exactly what it is. So, um, yeah, I, somewhere around that figure.
sure. That, that's awesome. And then, uh, and if I can just kind of uh, get an idea, what do you guys, in terms of um, obviously being a product company, um, obviously, you know, a shop, is shop, would you say Shopify is kind of your biggest, you know, partner in that sense where you guys do a lot of your business on that platform? Or would you say it's like BigCommerce or any of these other platforms? Well, you know, it's, it's certainly a mixture. I think, you know, when it comes, you know, for example, what, what I do, um, what I talked about earlier is developing relationships with platforms. My job is to, is to work with as many as platforms right. as possible and really to make that answer, that, that question as difficult to answer as possible um, because, you know, we work with so many platforms and that's, that's really the case. You know, I think there's no doubt Shopify has seen a lot of success and a lot of merchants are signing up with them lately. And, you know, um, really we're looking at any e-commerce platform that is experiencing a lot of growth. And I think, you know, given what's going on in the world right now, that's all of them. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, Shopify has been a big, you know, a good partner for us. Big commerce has, and you know, that list honestly is probably two dozen platforms long at least. So, wow. um, you know, again, they all come together and, you know, become very important for us um, because as a payment method, you know, we, we rely upon the e-commerce platform really as any other e-commerce technology does. So it's really important for us to be, you know, everywhere we can um, to support, you know, the widest range of merchants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, do you mind just uh, taking us through kind of the customer journey when somebody does have Sezzle sort of integrated on their um, on their platform as a, as a merchant? So I'm selling, let's say, snowboards or whatever that is. How does that process work with you guys um, in terms of collecting, you know, collecting that payment side of things and making sure that, you know, you guys are obviously keeping a good track record of everything that's going on. And, you know, obviously people are, are basically able to take the product off the uh, out of the inventory before they maybe even pay a dollar to anybody. And then you guys have to go upon yourself and collect that. Do you want to just kind of take me through that process of how that works on a, on a user type basis? Yeah, certainly. I think, you know, if someone's familiar with um, traditional financing, this will seem a lot more smooth um, because right. historically traditional financing is quite complex and there's a lot of um, fine print and, uh, and other details. But, you know, the, the really the experience from a customer perspective, um, if they are new to Sezzle, is they would land on one of our merchant partners, you know, a website mm -hmm. where um, Sezzle is offered and they would see on the product page, on the cart page, that um, if they're buying, say, a sweater for $100, um, they could buy the sweater for $100 or they can make four payments of $25. Uh, so we find that this often relates to higher um, conversion rates and more people adding more to cart because when you give people a more flexible way to pay over time, generally they spend more because their buying power has increased. Once they get to the checkout, they would see the option to pay with Sezzle right next to PayPal and credit card and all the other mm -hmm. traditional payment methods. When they click it, uh, the process is, is incredibly straightforward. We just ask them for four pieces of information, just their name, their email address, their phone number, and their date of birth. So all things that hopefully everybody can remember off the top of their head. Um, right. We don't look at you know their credit history. We don't do any of that. We simply just are looking to make sure, are they a legit person? You know, has their email address been around for a while? Is their phone number you know active? And based upon those four pieces of information, we approve them. Um, we actually approve on average either like high 80s or low 90% of people. Oh, and wow. yeah, so majority, vast majority of merchants will get approved, obviously based upon how much they're asking for. But um, and uh, at that point, they would say they're approved. They make their first payment. Um, so in that case, you know, $25 of the $100. And then 
um, we would schedule payments every two weeks from that. So three other payments of $25. The, uh, the customer, the shopper doesn't pay anything. So they don't pay any fees. There's no interest. There's, there's nothing. It's a completely free um, payment method for them. And the merchant gets paid the money upfront. So as soon as um, we've collected that first $25 payment, we give the merchant hundred dollars, even though we oh, haven't wow. gotten, even though we haven't gotten the other 75 yet, we give the merchant hundred dollars and take on all the risk. So, you know, let's say, you know, I, I couldn't make a payment or uh, I was a fraudulent customer or I, you know, uh, process a chargeback. Sezzle's taking on all that risk. So I often tell merchants that with Sezzle, this is really the most um, stress-free way of accepting money because there's, there's no way they're not keeping that money. With credit right. cards, there's obviously all these things that could happen, but like with, with Sezzle, we're taking on all the risks. So they're getting that money regardless of whether they, you know, um, we get the money or not. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and uh, and and just for um, whatever it's worth, we we're actually working with you to uh, on the CBD side of things, which is another I think important thing to mention because there are so many restrictions and different things in this marketplace of CBD and hemp and all this that you know I think sometimes it's hard for people to get approved through you know any other kind of credit card processing methods uh, like I know Stripe and a lot of these players they don't allow it PayPal doesn't allow it so um, I know for for us we're working to build you know bundles and higher tiered um, products to get you know uh, Sezzle involved in that side of things to make sure that we can offer people like if they need CBD and obviously these products are not low cost products. You know, we're, we're selling things at like 70, $80 a pop and, you know, it can go all the way up to almost like $6,000 depending on how much, you know, people are ordering. And I think um, the fact that it is, it is something, you know, health related and it can help people and their pets. Um, I think it's, it's one of those things where if somebody needs it, they don't have to stress about, Oh my God, I need to pay, you know, X amount of dollars right now. So now I think that that's awesome. And, and how, how much would you say you guys, um, when you guys take on that risk, because that is a pretty big risk, man, especially when you're talking about, you know, high tiered item, items like maybe two grand or whatever it is. How much of that do you guys actually see like being fraudulent? Because it surprises me, honestly, that you guys don't take some sort of like, you know, background check or something like that or a credit check. Like how much of that does end up kind of biting you in the ass for sake of better words? Yeah, so you know what? I'm a... Uh... So like we're a, so this is a publicly traded company. So I think all these numbers, you know, if, if anyone was, was interested, yeah. they could go back and they could search. Um, I think it's, it's below 1%. Wow. Um, so it's, it's really low. And again, I, you know, I don't know that number off heart. So I'd recommend, you know, you could check it out in the, in our earnings reports. I think, I think it's there. Um, but it's, it's, it's incredibly low. And that's uh, awesome. You know, we get asked that by merchants sometimes, you know, like, what, what prevents somebody from just buying something and not paying you back. And really the main thing is we just don't let them use the service anymore. And yeah. you know, the vast majority of people, I guess, want to continue using the service so they continue making the payments. And uh, you know, so far it's, it's not been a problem at all. Oh, I love it, man. I love it. So um, internally, what do you guys in terms of, you know, having over 150 employees or whatever that number is, like, what is your guys's kind of um, uh, process of like communication? Is it all through Slack? Do you guys have um, internal tools? And do you guys use like project management tools for, you know, development and different things like that? What would you say is kind of the core competency of tools within Sezzle that maybe you touch on every day or that you at least know about? Because I'm sure you're not in the, maybe in the development tickets and all this other stuff, so. Yeah, you know what, I think, you know, somebody in my role, there's kind of, I kind of break it into like 
two tools. Like there's tools that I use and there's tools that obviously, you know, we use as a company. Um, Cause I think that, you know, as somebody who focuses on relationships, um, I have my own tools that I like to use to like keep notes down, remember things and to track things. Um, they're just, they're comfortable with what I'm using and, you know, I use a lot of them for personal as well. So it's just kind of a natural, mm-hmm. um, but obviously, yeah, I mean, communication tools like Slack and, and, and Google documents and Salesforce, that sort of thing are, are obviously critical to the, to the company. Um, you know, use a lot of those tools for, for transferring information. I think as you get bigger, you know, your company and everybody in the company possesses more information and it's, it's harder to have those one-on-one conversations. You know, when you're, I, I remember, you know, my previous company, when I was, you know, I was, you know, like one of the first 30 employees there, we were all in a room. So if I needed something, I could just yell at somebody across the, <laughs> across the literally could yell at them and they'd yell back. Right. That's different. Right. When you become a bigger company and you've got offices and rooms and multiple offices, or when you're remote, it's really important to have all that data in a, in a central way and accessible so that somebody doesn't have to come and ask me, you know, what's the status on this, you know, this thing, they can just look it up themselves. So right. I know that's something that's always on my, the top of my list is where can I, you know, um, put my information that's in my head. It, it's often, I think people refer to it as like the, the hit by a bus strategy. You know, if you're hit by a bus, how much of the information just you know, is gone with you? Uh, right. Maybe, maybe a little, you know, sad way of looking at depressing way of looking at it. That's often how I've looked about it. Like if Kevin has to leave for like six months, you know, what things would die because there's just nobody there who knows about it. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how we think about things as well as we start to grow people coming on board and it's like, yeah, what if something does happen or, you know, unfortunately people get sick and things happen and, you know, during these COVID times, it's pretty crazy too. You know, people are taking breaks to be with their families and different things. So no, I think that's, that's uh, super interesting. Um, what, uh, what are some of kind of the next things that is, is Sezzle that's, uh, that you guys are focusing on as like a, as a company and, and kind of the growth aspect of things as a more just, you know, finding like viable ways to get integrated with a lot of these different platforms that are popping up or what, what is kind of the, the next generation of things that you guys might be focusing on? Well, you know, I think from our perspective, Z, like this, this space that we're in, this buy now, pay later space is just, it's growing incredibly fast. It's growing, it's growing faster than credit card adoption is right now, which is um, like, there's not much that's grown faster than credit cards, obviously. And, you know, people who, um, you know, are in the Gen Z category. So younger, younger than you and I are, um, are the people who are really, you know, utilizing this product a lot. And I think from our perspective, um, as time moves along, our focus is obviously on making Sezzle available, you know, everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, you know, our ideal scenario and likely, you know, unrealistic, but our ideal scenario is that Sezzle is available everywhere. Every retail has an integrated, right? Um, And I think that's the way that buy now pay later is going to be i think that you know um in australia you see pretty much every merchant where this you know where this technology is really taken off you know years ago pretty much every merchant has you know a buy now pay later solution in north america it's still pretty you know it's growing fast but it's still pretty early and i think that you know in in five years we may get to that point where every single merchant you go to has this sort of offering enabled right Right. Um, or they have multiple different offerings, right? They may have, you know, a few different options um, because shoppers, as we, as we continue to expand our, you know, our product offering and our merchants, we get more and more merchants signing up for our service. And, you know, the amount of customers that are going to be going to merchants saying, 
I want Sezzle is going to continue to increase. And um, it, it happened with PayPal, right? People really enjoyed using PayPal and eBay in the beginning because they trusted it. And, you know, I think a lot of the reasons why PayPal was so successful is because of merchants, yeah. merchants demanded it. Right. And now, like, if you don't have PayPal offer in your, your online store, like you're missing out because people like to use PayPal. Right. So that's kind of where, where we think, you know, you know, things are going and obviously we're doing everything we can to, to make that happen. Um, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the good thing that compare not to knock on PayPal too much, but you always hear kind of the horror stories where people pay with PayPal and then the merchant ends up, you know, I, I, I look through Twitter all the time and people are constantly complaining about how PayPal's holding, you know, six figures in their reserve account for like 180 days where, you know, for, for whatever reason, risk reasons or whatever it is when, you know, some mm -hmm. of these companies are legit companies and the fact that, you know, you guys aren't in that boat. I think that's much more viable for anybody, um, you know, that's running, running a business and, uh, you know, being able to get their money immediately. It's a, it's a, it's like instant gratification for both ends, right? It's like the merchant gets the money right away. You guys pay them out, no risk. And then the person who's purchasing it is getting the instant gratification of not having to pay the full amount up front and breaking that up, um, and maybe buying more from the merchant. So I, yeah, I definitely think it's a, it's a win-win solution. And I think that's awesome. Um, what, what kind of industry, I mean, on, on the Sezzle website, you know, I noticed that there was like a lot of apparel companies and, you know, all these, is there any industry at the moment that you guys don't support? And then the other kind of follow-up question to that is, where's the industry, the industry that you guys are thriving the most? Is it apparel? Is it, you know, uh, uh, tools, gear, like wh wh where do you see kind of most of your growth? I mean, yeah, so like the short answer in terms of who we don't support is as long as it's legal, you know, on a federal right. level, then we, then we do, we do support it. Like that's, you know, as long as the merchant's selling something legal, then we'll support it. So, right. you know, you mentioned we do support high risk, you mentioned CBD, vitamins, supplements, that sort of space and, mm -hmm. and many others, you know, so uh, quite a wide range. And I think when you're looking at the sort of growth that this space has seen, I think in the beginning, it was mostly, you know, fashion apparel was, was a big industry um, or big vertical for everyone in this space. Um, you kind of saw them adopt it first. And I'm not exactly sure why that happened other than I think, you know, initially people who were adopting buy now pay later were probably people who were buying stuff that maybe they did not need as much. They just wanted. So they were trying to find a way to justify it. So, you know, obviously I think in some ways fashion might fall into that where people are, are buying things that they just want necessarily. They don't, they don't need them. But as time has gone on, like it's just exploded across full verticals, right? You know, outdoor goods, you know, sporting goods are obviously big. Um, things like uniforms, right? People are going to buy uniforms for the kids. You know, those are can be expensive and they want to be able to split them up over time. Um, beauty. Um, you mentioned CBD. I'm trying to think of others, but it's just, it's, there's not many verticals that we're not seeing success in. And really where our product plays the best is, is in a smaller loan so because of the fact that we don't charge interest and we don't charge loans and we don't take people to collections and we're so consumer friendly we do focus on a smaller average order value so pretty much anyone selling anything less than like a thousand dollars would be a good fit for us but if you're selling mattresses you know um, or televisions things that are quite easily get to several thousand dollars that's where we're probably not as good of a fit for because it's hard for us to, it's harder for us to approve it. Right. Of course. Um, considering there's no interest. Right. So that's when you see those 
$10,000 items, there's always interest charge, there's min fees, all that stuff, because they're trying to mitigate their risk on such an expensive item. So um, where, where we thrive is certainly, you know, in the smaller um, AOV. And we, you know, the people split $20 payments. $20 purchases, you know, like hey, that's, yeah. I was surprised before joining Sesla. I didn't think people would do that, but you know, people, and it's just, they like it and it works for them and you know, they'll split anything, right? It's, it's, it's less about the order, you know, the cost, but more about the convenience. Absolutely. Are you guys seeing a, a, like an uptick in like the food industry at all? Like people jumping on from like the restaurant world and setting up e-commerce stores and being like, Hey, we can use this for, you know, the type of Instacart type of situations or restaurants selling, you know, whatever it is, wine or anything like that. Are you guys seeing anything during like these crazy times that are like an uptick in that sort of industry? Not that I'm aware of Z. Um, you know, we do work with some alcohol merchants, um, you know, kind of on a, you know, you know, one by one approval basis. Um, I haven't, you know, I haven't specifically given any focus on the food industry myself, you know, not mm -hmm. to say that other people in the company might be focusing on it. So, you know, I might be unaware of that and, and likely am. Um, but, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. Right. And I think travel and, and really this, this sort of payment method is, is in my opinion, universal. Like it really right. is the evolution of a credit card. So I think, you know, some, some verticals like restaurants may take a lot longer, and from my perspective, um, and again, not going off the of facts, but just my opinion is in a lot of restaurant industries, there's a lot of, of platforms to support, right? A lot of restaurants right. use different POSs and like the whole POS technology industry is very difficult to crack because there's so many old legacy systems. They're expensive to set up and it can be incredibly difficult to integrate with. So um, not to mention there's multiple different versions of each and people often are running an old versions. So to to go and integrate with restaurants directly is a lot of a lot of effort so that's when you know you're looking to more companies that are like maybe the food delivery companies but then you know there's there's challenges there so i think no doubt something that's going to happen and um just not something that i'm currently currently focusing on or looking into but um yeah yeah no uh do you guys currently integrate with any of the pos systems like shopify or anything like that are you guys directly in there or square, I would say even. Yeah, not, you know, we, it's kind of, it's kind of a one by one basis for us. Z. I okay. think, you know, um, you know, we, we approach it like when a merchant comes to us and says, Hey, we're, we're, you know, we need to support this POS platform. We will, we'll explore it. Um, some POS platforms don't support it or can't support it. Like um, I think Shopify, I don't think there's no way for us to integrate through Shopify and some of those, um, platforms that they, they are pretty locked down, um, still very new, right? They're right, you know, right. Shopify, Shopify POS is still relatively new and, and growing and expanding. And, you know, I'm sure that will change over time, but, um, you know, it's something we're always, we're always keeping an eye on. It's just, it's a different experience, right? When you do, um, that application online, you know, it's, it's easy. You're sitting in front of a computer, you can type it out, but when you're, you're if you've ever applied for financing in store, it can be, it can be kind of tedious, right? Typically you'd have to, you know, you go fill out the paperwork and then they would type it into their computer and then you'd wait 10 minutes and they say, okay, you're approved. Here's your, you know, um, and obviously that would be more seamless with us, but it's still kind of a different process in terms of someone's not at their computer. They're at their phone. They're at a POS. How does that work? I think, right, right, I think right, there's right. no, like, there's no like one size fits all for POS yet. Um, Makes sense. Because it, is, it is so fragmented. 
Yeah, makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. No, that that's that's really um, that's really interesting. I know that a lot of companies out there are having issues, like you said, cracking that POS system is just there's so many different versions and what people are capable of doing and all this other stuff. So that that's definitely an interesting area to to explore. Um, no, that, that's really awesome. So I do want to switch gears. You got to tell me about your your whole pilot situation, man. How did you how did you get into that? And and uh, when did you start doing that? How did you get your license and all that good stuff? Because I actually have somebody that's a pilot on my team as well. And it's to me, it's amazing that, you know, people are are doing that for themselves. Like I'm, I would be scared shitless, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'll I'll, t- I'll tell you after I tell you this I'll tell you a story of, of like really yeah. the only time I was really scared when I was piloting but um yeah you know er- early in my career you know like most people when you when you come out of graduation I I didn't really know what I wanted to do but I knew I'd be doing something you know so I initially went to university um, I went to university for you know a very short amount of time and almost immediately re- realized what am I doing I do- I don't know what I want to do and somehow giving money to a university or college just doesn't make me feel like I'm going to figure that out. You know, are you a fellow dropout? Are you a fellow dropout like me? I I, I don't even know if I would say a dropout because I I was there for two months, month and a half. Oh, okay. I I realized- I have a lot of respect for you, dude. I have a lot of respect for you because I honestly wish that I could have done that. I waited for like two and a half years and I was like, you know what? This is just not for me, man. Like, it's crazy. You know what? The one thing is when I know, I know, right? Right. I can, I can mull in decisions a long time, but when I know something, I, I do it quickly. And I, and I knew that I knew that, that at least right then that I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was basically just spending money. I didn't have to do that. So, um, so I, I did that. I, I you know, I, that's when I started working at Apple, I started doing business sales for Apple and was, you know, enjoying that there. And I can't tell you what really clicked about uh, being a pilot, but just something made me feel like that was a career I wanted to do. I, you know, I've always, I've enjoyed using my hands. I, uh, being a hands-on person, um, often I've enjoyed more literal jobs where you just do a job and it's less, you know, um, about being, you know, less ambiguous and more literal. Right. So I, I went there for a test run. So if you go to really any pilot school, at least in, at least in Canada, um, they'll give you a, a free flight. They'll take you up there. You can control, the, you know, control the plane um, all for free just to give you a you know, chance to try it out. And I, I liked it. I loved it. And I got a, I got a scholarship at the time to do it. So I started doing it and I got my pilot's license and the way it works is essentially you get your private pilot license, meaning you can fly like three or four people around. Um, and that, that takes you like, it's like 40 to 60 hours of flying. But if you want to become a commercial pilot, you have to get like two to 300 hours of flying. If you actually want to fly, you know, right. for work, get paid to fly. So what people do in our area is they generally would go to a rural area get a you know, low paying job and then they would get paid to fly and collect those hours, you know, so on and so forth. And that was my goal. And it just so happened at the time that when I was working at Apple, I actually met my now wife and, you know, pretty soon after meeting, after meeting, we decided we want to move in together and, you know, things just happened. And I just decided I just didn't want to move away at this time. I wanted to stay in and um, right. spend more time with her and just life happened. So I, um, you know, ended up leaving Apple for a job in, in marketing and leaving that job in marketing for, you know, job and partnerships. And then, you know, now I'm in a different job and partnerships and, uh, yeah, now I'm with my, I'm with my wife and we have a, we have a daughter and, you know, life is good, but, um, in, in another life, I would have been a pilot. It just, life didn't turn out that way. 
Right, right. That's awesome. How, how, I mean, how often do you go and fly? Do you have to keep a certain amount of hours to keep that rolling or what? Yeah, so you do. Um, I, I need to do more. The problem is, is the cost. Like, you know, so when you're flying a private airplane, like, and let's say the cheapest one you can, you're, you're paying for gas and the gas alone is like three, $400 an hour. It's probably oh, more expensive, shit. you know, time goes up. So it, it costs a lot of money to go up and fly an airplane. So my wife would never go with me, obviously, because she doesn't want <laughs> us to both perish in a plane crash and have our daughter be parentless. But right, um, right. for me, it's like, yeah, I got to go do it. But I just, there's less um, of a reason to go do it now, considering I'm not pursuing it as a job. Um, but I will tell you, I, I was going to tell you the time I was scared is um, yeah. one of the last flights I went on, I was, you know, flying by myself and, you know, long story short, a, um, a storm came in and like, oh, no. I had never flown in a storm before. Right. Like it just so happened that all of the times I had flown, it had been just nice out. Right. And you just, you don't know when weather's going to roll in, you know, we were hoping to be a quick flight to get in before the storm roll in. And I swear just, it came in. Before I knew it, it came in so quickly and it was just gray everywhere. And when you do your pilot license, you actually have to fly blind. They do a thing where they put a, a mask on you um, so that you can't see your surroundings. All you can see is the gauges. So based upon the gauges, um, based upon what your, you know, your, your air traffic controller tells you, you have to be able to get home and land, right? So you're looking oh, at things shit. like, what direction am I in? you know, how fast am I going? How far am I off the ground? And you need to be able to figure out where am I in terms of, you know, the, the airport. So that was one of those scenarios where um, it just so happened I couldn't see anything. And I was getting down to really low, like, you know, 500, um, 500 meters. And I still couldn't see anything. And I essentially had to completely fly the plane blind. And when I landed, I remember coming down and just like, and it, you know, when I say 200 meters, you're like, okay, that's pretty high, but it's really not when you're in an airplane. Right. right. Just, it, op it, it just, the clouds opened up and I'm like, please God, not be in an open field. And sure <laughs> enough, I was just on the, you know, the, la the, the runway and I landed and it was, it was all safe, but I certainly, uh, yeah, I did not did your feel life, safe. Did your life flash in front of your eyes at that point? <laughs> I would say that's probably the only time I thought about calling up my loved ones and like saying that moment, like, you know, oh, I love good. you. This might be it. But at the same time, I'm like, I was so preoccupied with trying to, that I just didn't <laughs> have the time. But yeah, probably the only time I, I feared for my life. That's crazy, man. I had no idea that they actually make you fly blind. That's pretty insane, man. Yeah, it's like a mask that they put on. Just, I mean, that's it. You have to be able, because when you're high in the sky and you obviously can't see the ground always, you need to be able to understand, you know, the measurements. It's, you know, that's mostly about what flying a plane is. It's understanding those measurements and those relativities because the actual flying of a plane is not that difficult. It's right. most about, you know, um, those numbers, that sort of thing. How many, how many hours do they make you do that for out of like the range to get your license? Not long. No, just a couple hours. It's not, it's oh, not okay. that bad. They also, you also have to go and stall a plane, which basically get, you have to go into a, basically a free fall. And you turn off the plane, you have the plane just basically fall from the sky and then you have to restart the plane and basically recover. Um, it's something to make you do too. Cause at that point when you're falling, it's like your insides are going up to your mouth. It just, you feel sick and you need to be able to like put everything together and recover. So that's part of the test as well. So it's, you know, obviously they're trying to, uh, you know, really put you in these stress tests. Cause that's what happens when you're flying your, you know, in yeah. constant stress test. I believe it. I believe it, man. That's crazy. Wow. I had no idea that I just, I honestly learned more about that today than anything else. <laughs> well, there you that's go. All, 
There, that's awesome, man. So, um, in terms of everything happening now in the world, uh, what, what are you and uh, you and your family doing for fun? Wise, are you guys taking a lot more uh, time to just uh, you know go out on walks and different things like that? What, what's kind of the life over there right now? Well, I'll tell you. Know, I tell you, see, I was actually just telling some people. I told a lot of people this. This whole thing it doesn't feel. You know, I say this whole thing, the whole quarantine, yeah. staying from home pretty close to regular life for me because me and my wife both work from home full time. My daughter's two, right? Yeah. So my daughter goes to preschool, so she hasn't been able to do that. Um, really it's a lack of sports, like no sports. I'm a big sports fan and that's, that's probably the biggest change for me, but you know, I've been fortunate and blessed to be in a situation where I can continue to work both me and my wife and it hasn't affected me too much, but I would say, you know, it's nice. It's summer. We've been outside going to parks, going for walks. Um, I certainly play enough video games when I get the time, you know, <laughs> you know, and, uh, I try to, um, try to be creative. I, I write, I don't know if I told you before, but I've written a novel. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to write the sequel to it. Um, and, uh, so I try to put some time into that and, uh, yeah, just I mean, anything that kind of enhances my skills is something I'm always trying to do. Have you guys been doing any diff anything differently from the time you everyone's been quarantined to like before that? Anything in the general day to day that you guys are like this has become kind of a regular now that we're we're doing on a daily basis? Playing board games. I mean, we've always played a lot of board games, but we've we've bought a lot more of that. Um, yeah, I've never been a big. In the beginning, when this happened, we were doing a lot of Zoom calls with friends, and you know, not that I have anything against my friends, I've never been a big zoom call fan i guess right i prefer just you know um not hanging out with anybody um <laughs> than doing these these forced video calls you know we're trying to play you know games um but that's just my style but yeah. you know that was a that was a change for sure but you know we were you know fortunately technology allowed us to order all our food in all our groceries in um not have to leave the house and you know for us it we were able to spend weeks at home like i think there was a three week period where I didn't leave the home once. Um, wow. and that's why I'm wearing a hat cause I haven't had a haircut, um, since it started. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I guess what I realized is I don't really need to leave it home as much as I thought I did. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. No, that, that, that's really awesome. What is that? Can you give us a little insight on the, on the sequel to your novel? Those that have actually read the first one, cause I'll be honest, I haven't read it, but what, what, can you give us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, I mean, that was, a. have been a writer. My mom was a writer. She wrote for a newspaper. It's something I've always enjoyed doing. So I actually, this is back in 2018. Back in 2018, I realized that for four or five years in a row, I had the exact same goals. Like every year, you know, in January rolls around, I write like, you know, what are my goals? And for four or five straight years, the goals were the exact same. Wow. I, I, I sat down. I'm like, I haven't done anything like what, you know, these past four years, I haven't accomplished what I said I was going to do. Like, what am I doing? So I, you know, I chose one. I said, I'm going to focus on writing a book. I'm going to do this. I had the idea laid out and I basically just said, I have to write, you know, essentially a thousand words a day. Um, you know, and then I have to edit a thousand words a day and then I write some more, you know, and then just, if I do that by the time the end of the year rolls around, I'll be done. So that's what I did. And, you know, that's what happened. I, I kept on it and, and the book was done and um, by the end of the year and uh, was really great. And the, the book is a, it's a fiction book. Um, it's kind of futuristic. Um, it's based upon um, perspective of two characters, one who's a writer, struggling writer, and the other one who's a, who's a scientist. So it's a little science fiction-y. 
um, in terms of um, the the female main character as a scientist is coming up with a new um, treatment for burn victims to help them, you know, recover their skin tissue and, you know, um, regain some of their, you know, the facial features that they've lost. And mm-hmm. it turns out that her treatment is more effective than she thought it was. And it actually uh, brings skin tissue back to the form it was at when people were younger. So it makes people look younger, right? People oh, look wow. better than this. So it kind of becomes this new age plastic surgery. And uh, the writer ties into it because he ends up falling in love with one of the initial test subjects of this treatment, um, who it works on. And, you know, over time things start going a little hairy because the treatment doesn't do necessarily all that it thought it would. And then there are some side effects. So that, that really is the, the core of the story. So, um, working on the sequel now. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's exciting. Did you, did you have some good success with that on like Amazon or anything like that? Did a lot of people purchase it? You know, I, I did it all privately. I, Oh, you did. Oh, wow. I, I, I never, I never did this goal for a financial gain. I really just did it something I, I wanted to do. Um, something I wanted to be able to point to my daughter and say like, look at, you know, if you have a goal, you can do it. Here you go. Um, I, so love that. I, I sold copies to people, you know, and basically just said, I'll, you just cover the cost of printing and I'll send it to you. Um, never put it on Amazon, never put it on anything. Cause for me, it was just more of a passion project rather than, and maybe, maybe one day I will, maybe one day I'll release a book just to, make it easier for people. But um, I just didn't want to associate a financial goal with that because I felt if I sold it too quickly, I, I might be disappointed by how much it sold or the reviews that I got when really, I just wanted to enjoy the fact that I had accomplished what I set out to accomplish. I could really appreciate that, man. That's, that's like really, really authentic. I, I love it, man. I love it. Well, um, I would love to just, uh, I'll get in touch with you afterwards. I would love to get a copy of it because I enjoy reading and, um, no, I, I think that's awesome, man. And that's really cool. So, um, yeah, man, I, I appreciate the chat. Um, I know we're rolling up on almost an hour here. Uh, is there anything else that you want to, kind of cover or talk about or anything that I have maybe missed, whether it's personal related, work related, whatever that is. I don't think so, man. I'm trying to think. Um, Obviously, you know, your, the podcast shows all about, you know, what people use technology, that sort of thing. Um, You know, I can ring off probably some quick, quick apps and tools and things that I use on a daily basis. um, Kind of as a personal. Um, So I'm, I'm primarily, I have a Windows computer, but I also am primarily an Apple guy. Um, so iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, Mac, that sort of thing. Right. Um, I rely on my calendar. Um, I use an app called Fantastical on all my devices. Um, and it's basically, like, it syncs with Google Calendar, but it's just, it's a really powerful calendar system. It's, uh, you can set it up on time so that between eight to five, it shows my work calendar. And as it gets to five, it then transitions to my personal calendar. Um, and there's a lot more powerful features you can do. It just brings everything together as well as it's got a, um, a reminders component. So you got reminders built in. So I, oh, I couldn't recommend that enough. Um, for, uh, for notes, I use a system called agenda and I think it's, it's available, I think on the web and, and again, you know, Apple devices and I'm sure windows too. Um, but it's basically a contextual note system. So when you're, um, basically every note is tied to a calendar event. So if you and I were meeting, oh. uh, it would automatically create a note for like, you know, Kevin and Z's chat. And then I could write convert, you know, notes down for that. And then it would basically within this note system, it would have a profile for you at all of our times we've ever chatted and all the notes associated to it. Um, Cause what I found is I, I had notes and they were just like all over the place. 
And, right, right, you know, right, right. And oftentimes I would have like, a, you know, for each contact, have a different note, but then it got so long and half the information was outdated. So I wanted a way to search. And so that app gave it to me and um, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't recommend it enough. Um, I need to look so, into that because I feel like that's a little bit of my broken system. Like I use like Asana and different things, like having that sort of conceptual thing where it's like one person tied to multiple conversations, being able to reference things, whether it's from another email address or whatever it is and kind of labeling things in that way automatically. I, I, I definitely have to look into that because right now I'm very organized, but I'm also at times very disorganized. And that's what like one of my big pet peeves is like falling, things falling through the cracks and getting back to people or having context of like when I'm having those meetings, like tying in emails and notes and different things to make sure that it's all in like one thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I would say the only, the last app I would mention is probably my favorite app of all time. And I don't know if a lot of people know about it. It's on iPhone. So if anyone's listening, they're on Android. Do you have Android or your iPhone? I'm an iPhone guy. Okay, there you go. So you'll appreciate it. It's an app called Do. It's D-U-E. And this D-U-E. app. Okay. D-U-E. Yeah, like Do, like something to do. Um, and this app is the best reminders app I've ever had. Um, what okay. it does basically, and it's a really simple premise, but it, it just annoys you until you do something. So I'll set a reminder there like, you know, send Z an email at five o'clock on Friday. You just type it in. It, it, it grabs all the data okay. and it just puts in a reminder at five o'clock. And at five o'clock, it'll notify you. And the key thing is it will continue to notify you until you complete it. So like with the default reminders app, it'll usually say, okay, five o'clock sends you an email. And if you just like, oh yeah, just dismiss it. It's gone. You won't realize, you know, you just forget about it. This one, if you just dismiss it, it'll ping you every five minutes and you can set it to every one minute. So it just keeps pinging you. And, you, <laughs> and what's nice about it is it'll ask you say, Hey, would you like to, would you like to do this another time? And you could say, yeah, you know, delay this a week, delay this a day and it will delay it but then it just continually notifies you. And it's, I can tell you just, I've never, I never forget anything anymore because it just, it continually re- pokes you and reminds you to do it. Um, so I would, uh, sounds annoying, but it works. I, w- I would download that app if I was you or anyone listening and you have struggled to remember to do things. Okay, so it's, it's this one right here, right? Yeah, it's like $5 or something like that. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's I, I will definitely, I will definitely put that um, in, into my, I'm gonna download that shit right away. Cause yeah. I, that's one thing I see with the reminders app with Apple and I feel like they're just so slow to fix things. Like I, sometimes I'm like, I have the notes app and then I have the reminders app. I almost have to remind myself to go back to my notes app on certain things and emails yeah. and all this other stuff. No, dude, this is really, really helpful. I, I truly appreciate it because I'm always, like I said, there's so many tools out there, so many tools. And I'm always like, Oh, maybe this will work. And I use it for a couple of days. I'm like, ah, eh, like this is just not what I wanted. So it's always good to hear that somebody that, you know, uh, that, that's working on a very uh, kind of multitask environment as well has found something that actually uh, uh, works. So no, I'm definitely going to download it and check it out, dude. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah. And, uh, I, and just to disclose, I did not get any sort of kickback from that. I'm just a huge, <laughs> I'm just a huge fan. I'm just a huge fan. <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. And it was, uh, it, it was truly a pleasure uh, chatting with you about everything. And uh, I love what you guys are doing at Sezo. And like I said, I will make sure to, um, you know, keep, keep going on with this and, and make sure that a lot of our merchants, um, you know, jump on Sezo because obviously nowadays, uh, it, it, I think it's more, more helpful than any other time. So uh, thank you for that. And thanks for always uh, kind of keeping an open door with everything when you were over at uh, Bold and now at Sezzle and all this other stuff. So thank you for that, man. And, and it's always a pleasure chatting with you. And um, yeah, man, thank you. 
Yeah. Z, and if anyone uh, has any questions or, you know, wants to reach out about what partnerships like thinking about getting into it or has questions about, you know, the tools that I mentioned, you know, feel free to drop me a line anytime. Um, you can put my email in the show notes or what have you. And, um, yeah, always well, help and book. Are you, uh, are you on Twitter and stuff as well? Do you prefer to kind of for people to reach out to you on there as well? You know, I'm, I'm pretty much a no social media guy. I, I use a, I oh, use a, love tiny it. a little bit, but I'm pretty, yeah, I don't, don't have Facebook. I don't check Instagram and, uh, I don't really check Twitter either. I have uh, that's that's one thing when I when I decided to write that book, I'm like I had to give up social media to do it. So that's what I did. Oh, but good yeah, job, e- man. Good job. Email email's the best way to reach me. Okay, awesome. I'll make sure to put that in the show notes as well, and people can reach out to you and uh, you know uh, and, and get in touch with you. And if anybody, I'll also put my email. If anybody wants to get in touch with Kevin, I'll I'll make sure to do that. So uh, thanks again, man. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your Friday. Enjoy your weekend, and uh, thanks again for doing this, man. It's a real pleasure. My pleasure, Z. Take care. All right. Cheers, brother.